All right, Titus chapter 2. We've been on a series. Uh, it's called Saved by Grace, Rescued, and this is it. This is the last one. Uh, if you have <clears throat> not been able to, or if you've missed some of these, not been able to be here, um, they are on our website. That's riveroflife.today. And they're also, if you check it out, there's also a podcast where you can uh, download that to your phone. And while you're on the road, you can be listening to the Word and get that Word inside of you. So we're thankful for that as well. So uh, we've been on this series of grace, and this is it. I almost hate the idea of moving on to something else because it's been rich. The Word of God has been so rich. Sunday nights has been rich. Our Inside Out series, that tonight is going to be our last night with that as well. We'll be moving forward. So it's just been a rich, rich time in the Lord. And uh, God's Word will work in our lives to absolutely change us. So the last uh, part of our series here is out of Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Say amen when you are there. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I want you to say with me, God wants everybody to be saved. The devil is a liar. <laughs> it says that just only some people are going to be saved. Or God pre-chooses only some people. God wants everybody to be saved. If you go to hell... It's going to be because you want to go to hell. If you go to heaven, it's going to be because you want to go to heaven. Good news is you can go either way. If I was God, I'd bust your hide and I'd throw you on the ground and I'd make you go to heaven. I would. But you know what? God, God gave you a will because he wants people that choose to love him. Nobody's here because they have to be here. And uh, we choose this. But that scripture is a powerful scripture. Grace of God brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Grace has come to everybody. Some people accept it. Some will reject it. But it comes to everybody. Notice what that grace that comes into all of our lives does. Verse 12. Teaching us. Wow. Grace teaches us? That's what it says. Teaching us. Well, what does grace teach us? This is crazy. This is wild. You turn on Christian radio, you don't probably hear this. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly. Your neighbor say, God wants you to be sober. You don't want to be drunk when the come of the Lord happens. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And while we're living godly, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for him while we're living godly who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. This is why Jesus saved us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. You're weird to the world. The world's like, man, what's up with them? You people are crack. You're nuts. A peculiar people that are zealous of good works. Good works are good in the Bible. We'll get into that later. These things he told the preacher, speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust. Just live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. My message, the conclusion of this series is, I want to entitle it, The School of Grace. The School of Grace. Because grace teaches us some things. So I wish we had a great big blackboard. We got little chairs here, though.
School's in session. We're in church. Jesus, thank you for the word. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you for your people. Thank you for grace, oh God. Grace is here. You're here to interact and work with us, Lord. We can do nothing of ourselves. Oh, Lord, you're the vine, we're the branches, Jesus. Hallelujah. We need you flowing in our lives. We need what you bring to, to, to help us to be what we need to be. We can't just through the works of the law somehow behave ourselves into godliness and righteousness. We need the grace of God working in us. And I pray, Lord, bless this message to our hearts today and help us to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are saved by grace. Saved by grace. What does that mean? That means that he takes... Where's Brian? <laughs> You're drowning. You're drowning. You're drowning in sin, right? You're drowning in the world. You're going underwater. Blah, blah, blah. You're drowning, Brian. <laughs> and then you're popping back up and you're getting a little bit of air. And you're drowning. Isn't that what was happening with all of us? And then one day, Jesus threw us a lifeline. Flying is grace. And we are saved by grace. Meaning that we get a hold of this thing. Don't let go. <laughs> Can I have it back? I don't know. I want <laughs> Can I take the symbol? All right. Thank you. We are saved by grace. Grace God throws into our life. Grace, the word for grace is C-H-A-R-I-S. It's charis. Grace, literally the word interpreted as gift. God throws us a gift in our life, and that gift that comes into our life gives us the capacity to be saved. And anybody that's got half a brain, when you're drowning and you're mixed up and you're messed up and you're drowning, anybody that's got half a brain says, oh, God, thank you so much for that grace. I, I, I grab a hold of that grace with all that I've got. I need you to help me. Let me tell you what. If you want to be helped, God will help you. If you don't want to be helped, that's fine too. God will, God will let you go. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want anybody. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. It's not God's will. God doesn't want anybody to drown. He loves so much that he throws out to us the grace of God. The grace of God, when it comes into our life, we interact with it. We grab a hold of it. The Bible says we are rescued, and I am saved by grace. It's not what I did. I couldn't save myself. But Jesus threw into my life what I needed to save me. And I thank God for the day that he came in my life and threw into my life what I needed to preserve me and to lift me up above the things that were destroying my life. And that Jesus washed my sins away, forgave my sin and my shame. I'm rescued. I'm redeemed. I'm ransomed. I'm set free by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm so grateful for the grace of God. Amen. Thank God for his grace. I want to talk about a couple things here related. Uh, if you've got your Bible. Now, we're going to go through the whole Bible today. We're going to start at Genesis. We're going to end at Revelation. Literally just about. I, and I don't apologize for that because you want to hear the word of God. You don't want to just hear my opinion. You want to hear the word. So we've got a massive amount of scripture we're going to go through. 
should be on the screen. Tina, you ready? There's a lot, man. We're going to have these scriptures. They're going to roll. Um, but if you've got your Bible, you can follow along as well if you're taking notes. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. The first point that I want to make is the law of God is a good thing. The law of God is not a bad thing. Now, I know New Testament Christians, we go, you know, that law, it's not for us anymore. And, you know, that law. And there's some people that are like, oh, the law is bad. The law is bad. But listen, the law is not bad. The law is good. The law is a good thing. Now, it was deficient in some ways, but everything about the law, if it wasn't for the law, oftentimes we wouldn't know what's right and wrong, black and white, good and bad. So the law will show us right and wrong. The deficiency the law had, though, the law will tell you, it'll smack you right upside your head, say, boom, you shouldn't be doing this. But the law didn't give you the help that you needed to fulfill the law. The law made demands, the weakness of the law is that the law did not bring the help that was needed. It defined right and wrong, but it didn't bring help. But I am so thankful to God today that I was born when I was born, and all of us need to be thankful we were born when we were born, because we're not under the law now. We're under grace. That doesn't mean that God does away with the law. In fact, I was just reading this morning, Exodus 20, about the Ten Commandments. Are the Ten Commandments bad? I think we ought to be, I mean, I hope not. Thou shalt not kill. You know, the legal judicial system is built on the law of Moses. It's not a bad thing. It's kind of a good thing if you don't kill people. Right? The law is not bad. The problem is the law tells you what you should be do, doing, but it doesn't help you to do what you should be doing. All right, are you ready? John chapter 1, verse number 14. The Word was made flesh. Who's that? Jesus. The Word was made flesh. Logos was made flesh. Dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glories of the only begotten of the Father. Notice, Jesus was full of grace and what? Now we have both. Jesus was full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received in grace, for grace. Now watch. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. In other words, what that means is the law said you better do this, and if you don't, we'll, we'll stone you. There's going to be ramifications, repercussions if you don't do this. But when Jesus came, he didn't just say, here's right and wrong, here's black and white. Jesus also said, I'll tell you what, here's my expectations, but I'm going to help you with those expectations. I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Jesus said, here's my expectations, and Jesus does have expectations, by the way. You know, there's like 2,000 2, New Testament commands. A lot of people don't talk about that. If you love me, keep my commandments. The difference is when you get into the New Testament, it segues into the fact that not only does God say, this is what I want you to do, Jesus comes along inside and says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the desire to want to, want to do it. And not only am I going to give you the desire, Jesus says, I'm going to give you power in your life now. Before you would say, how many of us at some point in our life said, I need to be more moral. I need to do the right things in life. And you tried to start doing that, and you did it for like six hours. Right? You did it for like one day, and then you're like, wow, that New Year's resolution lasted a grand total of 19 hours, and I'm back into the same mess. Listen, I did not want to come to church like all you people come to church. But I was a, a young person. I don't want to be like you people. I don't want to be, I mean, I believed in God. 
I believe in God. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be a choir boy. I don't want to be some church guy. Because you people are weird. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do all this stuff. I mean, I didn't want to stop sinning. I like sinning. I liked getting drunk. I like getting high. I didn't want to stop doing those things. And then all of a sudden, one day, my mom says, hey, son, I want you to come to church with me. So I don't think so. It's not my deal. No, I want you to come to church with me. No, it's not my deal. I want you to come to church. Why? I'm getting baptized. So what? I want you to come to church with me. I'm getting baptized. I want you to watch me get baptized. I don't think so. So we had this wrangling back and forth, and thank God mom's will was stronger than my will. And I came, I came to church that night, and forgive me for my repetitiveness. If you pastor somewhere 23 years, you're going to share the same stories. I can't help it. So you know, January the 11th, 1987, that fateful night, I came walking into, into that Pentecostal church, you nutty, crazy Christian people, and I came there almost against my will because mom and sis were getting baptized, and all I can tell you is at the end of that service, after mom and sister got baptized, I'm standing there, I'm a cool 15-year-old tough guy kid, you don't cry, all of a sudden I just start crying. Like, what's going on? I'm closing my eyes and I'm, you know, I'm kind of holding the, the, the pew in front of me and, I, and I'm just feeling like, whoa, I'm feeling God and I'm, I'm, I'm crying and, and I, I don't know what to do. And, and I look up and there's the Pentecostal huddle. You don't know what that is. Stick around. You'll know. You'll figure it out. There's about 20 people that were around me and they're just, oh God, touch him. They're praying, praying over me, praying for me. And I'm crying and I'm, and I look up. And standing next to me is the youth pastor. And the youth pastor looks at me. Remember, I didn't want to be there, right? I don't want to be like you people. And I'm standing there, and the youth pastor looks at me and says, would you like to get baptized? To which I said, yes, I would like to get baptized. <laughs> and then, you know, this little thought hit my mind, and now I know it was the devil. And this little thought was like, why did you say that? So I, I, I followed the youth pastor in the back there. They got a room there, and I changed into this robe-looking thing, and I went into the baptismal tank, and they put me into the baptismal tank, and they put me underwater, and thank God they lifted me back up. If you've never been baptized, we, we will lift you back up. Depending on how bad you've been, we may wait a little longer. So they lifted me back up out of the water, and when I came out of the water, all I can tell you is... I didn't even want to be in church that night, but when I came out of that baptismal water, all of a sudden inside I'm like, I want to be a Christian. I want to go to church. I want to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. I want to go to youth service. I don't want to do drugs anymore. I don't want to get drunk. Where does that come from? That's the grace of God. God's like, poof, I'm going to give you something you don't have. I'm going to give you desire. Oh, I know what I'm preaching about here this morning. Because a lot of you that are here today said, I'll never go to that church. I'll never live like those people. I'll never do that. And here you are, and you're here, and you want to be here. And the fingerprints of God are all over your life. And what you can know is it's God that did that inside of you. 
It's God. Not only, I mean, how many of you have been through the program? You've been through programs. You've been through this. I'm going to be sober. I'm going to, I'm going to do better. I'm going to, you've been through counseling. You've been through all that. And that worked for a little while, and you end up back in the same mess. But now here you are, and you've been clean for a year. You've been clean for five years. And it's because you're not a drunk anymore. You're not a high on anymore. You're not that anymore. God changed you, and he put, not only did he change you, he put inside of your life something that you never had before. It's called the grace of God. That's what the Holy Ghost is. It's an impartation of the nature and the grace of God internally inside of your life, and then all of a sudden you start changing, but you're changing from the inside out. You're not what you used to be. Hallelujah. I better get back to the Bible. Okay, here we go. Law was given by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus not, but what I want you to know, it's grace and truth. Are you ready? Grace still has expectations. Grace still has, I'm preaching so good this morning. Grace still has expectations. It still has, grace is not, listen, you're going to hear people say, you know, I'm saved by, I literally asked a guy this question. I asked him this question. I, I asked him because he said, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. I don't believe we should have unconditional eternal insecurity. I believe we can be secure in Jesus. Thank God for that. But there are prerequisites. I literally asked a guy, I asked him one time, I said, I said, so, you know, if you just went and murdered 22 people and you never repented, all right, does that mean, I mean, are you still going to go to heaven? Absolutely. Let me tell you what that is. That's junk. That's, that's Greek for garbage. It is a lie. It is a lie of the devil. It's a lie that says, you know, no matter, you know, once you're saved, no matter what you do, no matter, come on, man. That's, it, it, even logically, it doesn't make any sense. But what God says, though, is I will give you power in your life, thank God, so that we can live above sin. He said, I'll give you the power that you need so that you don't, you don't even want to do that anymore. You don't want to be a part of That's what the Bible says, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So grace comes, but it's also truth, meaning that grace still has expectations of our life. And that's what I'm talking about, the school of grace. So the product, remember we went, we had the, we had the lathe and all that stuff up here. The product is, you know, this is beautiful, isn't it, when it's done? beautiful it's the product this was a piece of firewood mike this was literally out of our our woodshed it was a piece of firewood it was going to just be burned up and now it's something that has value kind of like us we were just going to be burned up for eternity god said no i'm gonna pull them off the trash heap i'm gonna make them treasure god says i'm gonna pull them out of the dumpster i'm gonna make them a treasure i'm gonna make something out of their life this is the product right this was a blank canvas until it was painted and then this is the product this is a pen, that this is nothing more than a kit full of a bunch of components and a block of wood, but the finish was a product, right? What I'm saying is God is after a product. You know what God's after? Listen, this is what matters to God. This is what's so wonderful about the Lord. Let me tell you what God is after. God wants to make sinners into strong saints. God wants to take people whose lives have been so wrecked and messed up by sin. He wants to take them 
And he wants to lift them up and redeem them and ransom and rescue them and put their life all back together so that when people look at that person, they say, unbelievable. Can you believe what happened to so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? And and when they say, what happened to so-and-so, the only answer is, I heard he started going to church. I, I heard she got saved. I heard Jesus is working in her life. And she tried everything else, but look at where she's at right now. It, it was Jesus that did that for her. That's the product that God is after. The product that God is after is that, that God would make us into strong, apostolic children of God. You are his masterpiece. That's his masterpiece. When God gets to bragging, he could say, look at my solar system. Look at the sun and the moon and the stars. He could brag about everything. Look, look, look at my Rocky Mountains. He could say, look at the blazing sunset. But you know what? That's not what, what makes God really happy and really proud. When God wants to get really happy and really proud, what he says is, look at this person right here. Look at what they used to be and look at what they are now. This is the before picture. This is the after picture. When God's grace works in somebody's life, the thing that excites him is what you and I become by the grace of God. And we used to be this, but God is so good. And he gets all the credit and all the glory for it. Anything good that we have in our lives is a byproduct. The family you have, the sanity you have, the sobriety you have, the job you have, the blessings that you have in your life are because Jesus. He did that in your life. And now you become the product. God's like, you want to see what I can do? Look at this person. And literally, he makes beautiful things out of our lives. Okay? So I want to, I want to deal with the concept here. If you've got a Bible, um, I'm going to read about 10 scriptures really fast here this morning. Now, you know, in some ways in the Christian community, unfortunately, good works. Can you say that with me? Good works. Good works have got a bad rap. It's like, oh, you don't have to. You don't have to. doesn't really. Can I tell you what? God wants you and I to be good, and he wants us to do good. It's young people, it's still good to be good. Culture may look at you and say, oh, you're just a bunch of goody two-shoes, you're a bunch of weirdos. You, come on, you make such a big deal about this and that. They would like to shame you sometimes because of the way that you live your life. I want to reinforce this morning, it's still good to be good. God likes it when we're good. He wants us to be good, and he'll help us to be good. So watch these scriptures. There's a bunch of them. I'm going to roll through them really quick. Titus 3 and 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Titus 2 and 7, and all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. 1 Timothy 2 and 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Thank God for all the godly ladies in the church that are showing the world, the Bible says here, good works. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, God is able. How many know God is able? God is able. God is able. What's he able to do? He's able to make all grace abound toward you. What does that mean? That you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God's given you grace so that you can abound to what? Good works. First Timothy 6, 18. That they do good, that they be rich in what? Money? Finances? Rich in what? Rich, the church would be rich in good works. 
Truth is, we may not have money, but I tell you what we really can have. We can be rich in, in good works. Goodness of God working in our lives. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Hebrews 13, 21, watch that one. He'll make you perfect in what? Every good work to do his will. 1 Peter 2 and 12. They may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. What does that mean? That, that the world looks at you and they're like, Shane, man, how's Shane doing what he's doing? Oh, Jesus is working in Shane's life. And they say, wow, look at what God did in Shane's life. Shane is a marquee. Shane is a billboard that God worked in his life and he's a testimony. And how does the world know? By our good works. That's what it said. They'll glorify God in the day of visitation when they see what? Our good works. Colossians 1 and 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. How many want to please God and walk in with God and make God happy? That's my desire. I, I, help us, Lord. That's what he said. Walk pleasing unto God, being fruitful in what? Every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Hebrews 10, 24. If that one doesn't work for you, this one might. Let us consider one another to provoke. Spend to that person next to you and say, I got a job. It's to provoke you. <laughs> to provoke you. Say, so, now, not like you're thinking. I had a little sister. And I could provoke her. And my little sister, I'm telling you right now, could provoke me. But the kind of provoking this, this verse is talking about, what do we provoke? We provoke unto love and to good works. Come on, brother. God wants, God wants you to be good and do good. God's going to help you in that. We provoke one another to good works. Acts 9 and 36, this woman, her name was Dorcas. That's her name, was Tabitha. But what was it that she was known? What was her notoriety? What she was known for, the Bible says this woman was full of good works. I don't read anywhere in the Bible when James was beheaded. He was the bishop of the New Testament church. He was beheaded. I don't hear, there probably was weeping that went on, but the scripture doesn't tell us that. But when this woman died, the church, they, people were weeping. People were crying. Why were they crying? They're saying, who's going who's gonna to make clothes for us? The persecution that they were undergoing, they didn't have clothing. And so this godly woman, she, had, she was a seamstress and she made clothing and she fixed people's clothes and she, clothing and she was there to help them and to be a blessing to them. And everybody's crying at her funeral. Do you know why they're crying at her funeral? Because she was such a blessing to the kingdom of God. All the good works that were in her life. The people are like, what are we going to do now? Who's going to fix our clothes? Who's going to make us clothing? Because she was a blessing to the kingdom of God and she was full of good works it's a good thing matthew 5 and 16 let your light so shine before men that they may see what your good works and when they see your good works then they glorify your father which is in heaven they see your good works and they're like oh god's good wow that's amazing look at how good god is when they see the goodness that you're doing so what are you saying i'm saying that god saves us by his grace he rescues and redeems us are you ready? I, I, is your seatbelt buckled? Here's the fine print. But God, when he saves us, he saves us to change us. He, he saves us to change us. 
He's not going to leave. Now, the, the great news that God is so merciful that he will take us no matter where we're at in life. If you think you're, don't, you're not good enough, you say, I'm so full of shame, I'm not good enough for God to take me. Listen, you don't have to be good enough for God to take you because God is so good that he'll take you right the way that you are. If that wasn't the case, none of us would have hope. Because listen, none of, us, none of us had our lives all together. But Jesus will take us and love us and care for us and be there. And his cross and the blood of Jesus was for us when, when we were not deserving. But listen, when, when we're born again and we come into the kingdom of God, that's when the real work begins. Because he saves us to change us. That means we come to God cursing and swearing, but God says, I'm going to get that out of your life. We come to God smoking and toking, and God says, We're gonna, I'm going to get that out of your life. We come to God with out of control anger. I just can't help myself. Well, God's going to start helping you. Come to God with wrath and anger, and, and you know what? God's going to, he begins to change that in us. We come to God, we're rebellious. Nobody can tell us anything. That's how I was. I got the Holy Ghost. I had the bonafide Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues. I got the Holy Ghost. Was I saved? I was saved. But I still had some rebellion in me. God didn't kick me to the curb, thankfully. He didn't say, get out of my church. You still got rebelliousness inside of you. But I'll tell you what he did. He started working on me. <laughs> You don't know what that means, but what that means is then I had a lot of challenges that came my way. My pastor told me there was a girl I was in love with. I thought I was in love with. And he said, don't date her. Who does he think he is to tell me what to do? My parents would say things. I'm, I'm a Holy Ghost-filled teenager, but inside I'm going, who does dad think he is to tell me anything? Nobody tell me anything. You know what? God had to get that out of me. God didn't leave me. I got the Holy Ghost, and I still had some rebellion that had to be taken care of. And guess what? God got that out of me. Come on. Vengeful and critical and thieving. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, God's going to help you to stop stealing. Is this too plain? Maybe it's too plain. Scamming, lying. I know people that couldn't tell the truth, standing on the Bible, looking at Jesus. They couldn't tell the truth to save their lives. But when you get the Holy Ghost, you know what God's going to do? He's going to go beep, 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 beep. You need to stop that. That's the grace of God. Come on, talk to me about singing and shouting, Pastor. Talk about running the aisles. Talk about goosebumps. <laughs> no, you know what Jesus does sometimes? He starts working on us. He starts working on us. He starts working on us. God said, I'm going to change that. That, that means the stuff you look at on your phone. There's a porn ec epidemic in our world today. Jesus starts working in your life. Guess what? Porn's going to start leaving when Jesus starts coming into your life. Jesus walks into your life. He's going to start pushing the porn out of your life. <laughs> All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Notice what it says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, all things are become new. Let me read two other translations because they're, they're just beautiful. 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This is the Amplified. Amplified says it just really beautifully. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he's a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. The fresh and new has come. That means that if you're in Christ, the old life begins to pass away. You know, the dope smoking. There's no such thing as a Christian dope smoker, by the way. Christian fornicator. They're, they're incompatible words, right? Thank God he's so merciful, though, when we sin, he doesn't just kick us to the curb, but, man, he starts talking to us. It's called conviction. And all of a sudden, those things start passing away. And before you know it, it is amazing if you'll let God have his way in your life and you, you obey him and follow his will for your life, you're born again. All of a sudden, if you look in six months or one year, all the changes that are happening in your life. Why is that? Because grace is a teacher. Grace is a teacher. Grace starts teaching us, uh, and grace starts working in us, and we start developing convictions in our life, and all of a sudden we start changing. What is that? That's the work of grace in our life. This is the product, right? What is the product? The, product, the finished product is a strong apostolic child of God. Amen? That's the product. What's the process? That's the product. This is what, you know, the end result. How do we get to the end result? What's the process? The process, are you ready? Here's my message, is the school of grace. The process of transformation literally is the school of grace. Ding, 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 ding. School's in session. I wish we had a big buzzer, like a school. Class is in session. Class is in session. Class is in session. What's that mean? That means this isn't just a Sunday thing, folks. God is going to start teaching us every day of our lives. Every day. Every day. A Bible study guy, guy was telling me about that he's, he's in a group, and in the group, that in the group, uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a Christian recovery group, it's, it's, you know, it's a good thing. He said, but in the group, um, there's all kinds of different ideas. And, and one of the guys said, he said, well, here's the deal. He said, I go to church. He said, I, I take communion. He said, I take communion, and then I'm good for about a month. I take communion, I'm good for a month. Which, parenthetically, what he's saying is, you know, then I just party down, man, have fun, just do whatever I want to do. But then I come back to church and I take communion. You know, that covers me for about a month. Covers me for a month. I took communion, I'm good for a month. Now, now I can go get drunk, get high, run around, fornicate, play around, you know, steal. But I took communion once a month. Folks, this isn't just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. This living for God stuff's a Monday thing and a Tuesday thing. Thank God. And a Wednesday thing and a Thursday thing. You know what that means? God's going to show up. In our, and I thank God. We come to church. We worship God. He shows up. We need this. This is important. This is vital. We got to have this. We got to have group. Group's important. Sunday night, PM Live is going to be important. It's going to be wonderful. But listen, if, if the only work of God in my life happens when I gather corporately with the people of God, I'm in trouble. I need a, a walk with God. And, and this is what grace does. Grace is going to show up on Monday morning. 
Grace is going to show up Monday afternoon. Grace is going to show up Tuesday. What's grace going to do? Grace is going to show up on Thursday. And what's grace going to do? Grace is throughout the day. It's going to give me a little desire, inspiration. Man, I probably, I haven't prayed today. I ought to talk to God today. I haven't cracked my Bible today. I ought to, I ought to open the Bible. You know, you, all of a sudden something comes out of your mouth and there's this little twinge of guilt inside that says, man, I probably shouldn't have said that. Or you do something and, and, and you know, this, you think it's your conscience, but what, what it really is is grace. And it says, you, you probably should go apologize to that person. You shouldn't have done that. You know what that is? That's the fact that God keeps working on us and working with us. And the process of transformation is the school of grace. School's in session. Ding, 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 ding. School's in session. Let me give you the good news. Let me give you the hopeful news. God will work with you. The good news is he recognizes that we're all at different levels of development and he also, God, is so merciful that he understands that it doesn't happen overnight. Everything in our life doesn't happen overnight. We are all children of God, works in progress. We are works in process. Don't condemn me too hard if I'm not all that I can be. God's still working on me. Don't tell me to leave the church if I'm stumbling and fumbling because God's working on me. What are you saying? I'm saying God's working on all of us in this building here today. Every one of us because he's a good God and he's not just going to leave us to ourselves. The process that God's going to work through in our life, the process is grace. Grace continues to work on us. Grace works on us. What does grace do? Grace teaches us how to live godly. It teaches us and molds us how to live a godly life. Watch, uh, watch Romans 6 and 1 and 3. 1 through 3. Romans 6. Because God wants us to be godly. And so even this, this message that I'm te teaching, there's room for misinterpretation. The Apostle Paul was dealing with that. He's preaching the grace of God so strong that people are thinking that it was giving them license and permission to live sinful lives as Christians. And he's saying, that's not what I'm saying. Watch Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we just keep on, you know, God's grace is so rich that... Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we just keep on sinning? You know, God's grace will be there. No big deal. It's all right. It, you know, God will show up. It's all. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's a rhetorical question. Church. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What did Paul say? God forbid. Are you kidding me? No, I'm saved. I make excuses. It's okay. I'm, I'm going to heaven anyway. That's what he's saying. No, don't misinterpret it. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many as a, of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Don't we know we've been born again? The old life has been crucified with Christ. Don't we know that we were baptized, something happened in our life? So grace is not the freedom to do whatever I want to do. Grace is not the freedom so that you can do whatever you want to do. Grace is the freedom to live God's will for your life. 
Grace is the empowerment that God comes into your life and says, it's not like this blanket coverall excuse for, you know, immorality and whatever. No, God says, what I'll do is he said, I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to make a deposit in your life and I'm going to help you to live godly. I am going to give you the desire to live godly and I'm going to give you the power to live godly. Even if you don't have the power, God says, I'll give you what you don't have. I'll give you the desire and I'll give you the power to do what? To live a godly life life. That's what the grace of God is for. Grace is not liberty and freedom to live however I want to live. Grace gives me the power to live how he wants me to live. Grace is not an excuse for my sin that allows me to do whatever I want. Grace is the power that says he's going to help me to do what he wants in my life. His grace is going to work in me and change me into his will and do what he wants me to do and fundamentally that's why this is the last lesson is that at the end of the day that's what god's grace teaches us it teaches us that it teaches us how to live a godly life i got to give you this because again i told you we're going to be scripture heavy today but there's there's so many powerful verses that that i think tie into this that we don't need to bypass first john chapter three verse number five notice this passage of scripture you know that he was, he was manifested for what? To take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Verse number six. If you've if you got a Bible, you may want to underline this in your Bible. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Is that in our Bible? Whoever abideth in him sinneth not. You saying, Rev, that I won't sin? I'm saying, well, what would the opposite of that be? The opposite would be, Jesus is, you know, he saved you. He saved you, and, you know, too bad you're just going to be sinning. Some people say this. It irks me, I got to admit. I see it on Facebook now and then. We're all sinners. We just sin. Now, listen, let's be real. Do we sin at times? Sure we do. But our approach is never one that's an excuse. We all just sin. You're like, yeah, I, yeah, I got mad, and I rammed into that guy with my car. Yeah, I've, you know, I'm just, I'm just a sinner. I pulled out a pistol and I shot his two back tires out. He cut me off. Oh, I'm just a sinner. Come on, man. That's not the approach that you take. We're just all sinners. No, that's not what he said. The Bible says, whosoever abideth him sinneth not. What does that mean? The power of the Holy Ghost in my life is powerful enough to keep me out of sin. I mean, could you imagine? God's like, oh, I just gave you the Holy Ghost, you know. So, so when a person says, I couldn't help myself. If you're a born-again believer, child of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, God's grace is working in your life, you do not have a right to say, oh, I can't help myself. The devil made me do it. Devil can't make you do squat. If he could make you do it, you'd be running around. You'd be his puppet robot all day long. Devil can't make you do anything. God gave you a will. God gave you a spirit. God gave you his grace. And he's going to give you the power to live above sin. So does that mean like that puff us out in pride? Say, I, I never sin. No, whosoever abideth, abideth in him sinneth not. It's because I'm in him. It's because he's in me. His presence is in my life. The reason why I'm not sinning is God has helped me. Right? Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now, one thing, again, if you got your Bible, underline E-T-H. E-T-H, what is that? That's present progressive. 
That means a continual state, sinif. That means somebody that just keeps on sinning and 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 sinning. He's saying God's going to deliver you in such a way you're not just going to keep sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. His power in your life, his grace in your life is going to stop you from sinning, 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 sinning. Do we make mistakes in life? Yes, we do. When we make mistakes, when we sin, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We pray. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just. Forgive us all our sins unrighteous. If we perchance sin, then God's going to forgive us of that sin. But our bias is not that, oh, we're all just going to sin every day. We all just sin every day. It's not what the scripture says. Seven, little children, let no man deceive you. Interesting, he's like, that's a deceptive doctrine right there. Oh, everybody just sins. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth, E-T-H, continuing to sin, is of the devil. <laughs> you don't want John to be your pastor. Pastor John would say, you keep committing sin, you're the devil. Uh-oh. That was, that was rugged. The devil sent it from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He doesn't want us just wallowing in our sin, just making excuses. We got no... No. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. What is that saying? That's saying the power of the Holy Ghost inside of your life is going to keep you from sinning. It's going to be like the emergency warning system. Woo, 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 woo. No, wrong. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't do that. Oh, you did that. Repent, 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 repent. Get it right. Get it right. Get it right. You get it right. It's right. His seed remained in them. That's seed. What's seed? The word. Seed of the spirit. Seed of God. In this, the children of God are manifest children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. That's hardcore. But that's true. That's how this intermingles with grace. 1 John 5, 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. E-T-H. Whoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Oh, now the Holy Spirit of God in my life has given me self-control. Oh, I got self-control in my life. I can't say anymore, the devil me. I couldn't help myself. Oh, he is begotten of God, keepeth himself, and that wicked one, notice, toucheth him not. Because you want to know what the touch points of Satan are? Ah, oh, this is not the focus of my message, but I got to hit it here because I think the Lord is leading us this way. It says that wicked one toucheth him not. What are the touch points of the wicked one, of the devil? It's sin. That's why Jesus could say, Satan hath no part in me. If you turn Jesus inside out, upside down, he didn't have any handle points where Satan could come into his life and grab a hold of his life and, and manipulate him. He didn't have that. Because when you've been delivered from sin, if you're born of God, we stop sinning, and then the wicked one doesn't have access to your life anymore. Listen, the devil's got no more access to your life. He can try. He can tempt you. He, he can speak lies into your mind, but he can't have your life anymore if you're born again of the water and the spirit and you're born again by the blood of the lamb. Satan does not have free access to your life anymore. We're not victims. We are victors in Christ. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. All right? Okay. So let's go to our lesson. I'm going to wrap it up with this. This is, this is the final thought. Grace is a teacher. Grace is a teacher. What is the curriculum that grace is teaching? Grace is a teacher. What's the curriculum? The curriculum is how to live godly. 
Watch Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Verse number 12. Teaching us that. Teaching us. What is God's grace teaching us? God's grace is teaching us how to live holy, how to be heaven ready, how to be godly. Okay, now watch. Titus 2 and 11. Teaching us that denying ungodliness. So what's, what's the school of grace teaching us? Number one. Denying ungodliness. There's a two-letter word. All of us are going to have to learn if we're going to be successful in our walk with God. Does anybody know what that word is? No. Does that mean you don't know what it is or that's the word? The word is no. If I'm going to be successful in my walk with God, grace is coming into my life and it's teaching me. What's grace teaching me? Grace is teaching me how to say no. Denying ungodliness. Nope, I'm not watching that kind of movie right there because I got, I got the Holy Ghost in my life. I'm not watching that kind of movie. No, I'm not, I'm not walking into that establishment right there. I'm not bellying up to the bar. Oh, no. Why? Because grace is teaching me to deny ungodliness, to dismiss and reject ungodliness, right? Grace is teaching us. No, I'm not stealing that. No, I'm not going to be a gossip. I can't, I can't gossip about that person. Because, why? Because the grace of God is teaching me. Amen? It's teaching me. I'm not going to live a life of self-pity. The grace of God comes into my life. The grace of God is teaching me. The first thing is to deny ungodliness. No, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm not having porn in my life. These kind of things, you say, oh, these should be given things. I'm telling you what, this is, it is an epidemic, and it's an epidemic because porn is after you. It's a billion-dollar business, and it's wicked, and it's unfair. It is preying upon people's weaknesses. Oh, yes, it is. It preys upon people's weaknesses. But the grace of God comes into your life, and the teacher shows up in session. And what does the teacher teach? The grace of God comes into our life and says, no, nah, you don't want that in your life. In fact, I'll give you the power to develop a hatred for that so that it doesn't take you down and suck your money and, and take all of your life and take your relationship. No, God says, I'm going to give you my grace. Come on. The grace of God teaches us. It teaches us. Grace of God shows up and says, no, you're probably you're, 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 your communication is going to change. Christian people don't say certain words. Am I too practical here this morning? Is this too, like, base? And... No, it's grace teaches us. Grace saves us. That's been the good part we've been into. But now, now we're in the school of grace. And grace teaches us. No, there's some things that we don't say anymore. Grace teaches us we don't smoke dope. Right? It's basic. Grace teaches us we don't pop pills. Grace teaches us. We, we, we don't go get drunk. Grace teaches us. Grace teaches us that single Christian men don't live with single Christian women. It's basic, man. I don't know how to get any more basic. It teaches us. What does it teach us? Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness. We deny it. What's the next thing grace teaches us? That's your job, Pastor. Tell me. Denying ungodliness, and what's the next thing? Worldly lusts. The grace of God teaches us. The teacher shows up and says, no, that worldly lust right there, that kind of pride, no, you don't want that in your life. 
Grace teaches us, don't be arrogant. Grace teaches us not having covetousness in our life. Grace teaches us, no, we don't want strife. Grace teaches us these things. It teaches us that denying ungodliness, so there are some things that grace teaches us not to do. Some things we don't do. We don't do. As Christian people, there are some things we don't do. Why? Because grace is working in us, and he's changing us, and he's, he's working in our lives. There are things that we used to do. All of a sudden, God says, no, you probably don't want to do that. And God starts giving you power in your life, and you stop doing some things. There are some things we stop doing, and there are other things that we start doing. What do we start doing? The Bible says, living soberly. We start living sober. That's what it says, the Bible, Titus 2.12. Living soberly. We start living soberly. We start living righteously. We start living godly. Remember, what does grace teach us? How to live godly. How to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Are you in Titus 2, 12 there? And what's the last part of that, that phrase? That scripture, Titus 2 and 12. Live soberly, righteously, and justly. What does it say? Somebody help me. Where? In this present world. In this present world. I want everybody under the sound of my voice to know that you can live godly in the 21st century and you can live holy in America. You can live godly in an ungodly world. I, I hate to tell you this, but the 1950s are over. The beeve, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. The beeve, the beeve is probably 80 years old now, if he's still alive. The beeve isn't around. The Brady Bunch, they're gone. And we may, we may a sense of nostalgia come over us and oh for the America of the 50s. The simplicity. America was so much better. And now we got all this transgenderism. We got all this, you know, all these agendas. And we got, man, everybody's on some kind of drug. And everybody's dealing with anxiety. And our world is so mixed up. And our world's so messed up. And pastor, you're saying to live godly. Our world is so bad. That scripture tells us that grace is saying that we can deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We can live soberly, righteously, and justly in this present world here now your world my world 21st century mixed up messed up america we can still be apostolic we can still be holy ghost filled we can live a godly life we can live the kind of life god wants us to live even though surrounding us is ungodliness everywhere god can keep us he can help us he can empower us and he can fill us to live a godly life in the middle of a world that that's mixed up. Grace. 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 Grace is helping us to live a godly life. You can live for God. You say, but man, when I go to work, you don't know all the, all the guys that I work with or this and that. Well, guess what? God planted you right there to be a missionary. God planned you to be a missionary to tell them, there's a show them, to exemplify to them, there's a better way to live. We, I, I thank God for our young people. Thank God for all of our children and young people. 
Children, young people be like, oh, but you don't know. You don't know when I go to school how all of the influences that are there. But God says, guess what? I put something into your life super duper hyper special. It's called the grace of God. And that grace of God will keep you. There's nowhere that the grace of God that will take you that it won't keep you. Wherever the grace of God leads you, it's going to keep you. If God puts you in the middle of the most difficult situation in the world, if he lead, the grace leads you to it, the grace will keep you in it. The grace of God will empower you. The grace of God will do something in your life that in the middle of this world, God will plant you, make you to be a strong apostolic saint of God. It's the grace of God. My final thought as I close. School is not about where you are. It's about where you're going. What does that mean? When you start the first grade, every child that starts the first grade knows that they're going to go through preschool and kindergarten and elementary school and junior high and senior high and every student knows, someday, thank God, I'm going to graduate. So when you're in third grade, you're like, I'm going to graduate someday. And you graduate third grade. And you get to fourth grade. It's not, about, it's, it's not about where you are. It's about where you are going. You know what that means? You're not going to be in first grade forever. You're not going to be in fifth grade forever. That's weird. If you're 32 years old and you're still in the fifth grade, that's weird. That's weird. That's weird. No, you're going to graduate from some things. You're going to grow beyond some things. You know what that means? I shouldn't be in church like 10 years and still be in kindergarten. I shall be in church 30 years still dealing with the same things. God wants to graduate us all. He wants to graduate us. Here's my thought, and I'll end with this thought. Embrace the awkward. Embrace the awkward. What do you, well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Hi, my, my name's Ron Lichtel. Oh, my name's Ron Lichtel. That's sixth grade. You, guys, you remember? Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. <laughs> Bro, you graduated, man. Your voice ain't still squeaking. You're all good. Right? You're like, what's the matter? Well, when you grow eight inches in one year, it's awkward. You know, you, know, you got that little mark on the door there, and you're like, you're five foot one, and then the kid, the kid, then the next mark, they're like six foot four, and they got shoes that are like the jolly green giant. You're like, and you go through a phase where you're like, hi, hi there, hi there, nice to meet you. And you're just, you're just awkward. You're awkward. And you're like trying to have conversations with people and you're socially awkward. Hi there. How are you? And it's awkward, right? We go through awkward stages of our growth and our development. But what you don't say is, I'm going to be in sixth grade forever. You know, you say, you say, I'm going through this. What does that mean? In our, in our walk with God, in our relationship with God, we don't get stuck at a stage and just say, well, I'm just comfortable right here. Rev, don't mess with me. Jesus, don't mess with me. I'm comfortable where I'm at. Just leave me right here at this stage. No, all of us, we, we, we're in third grade with the idea we're going to graduate. You know what that means? 
God is so good, he doesn't kick us out of his church. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't kick us to the curb. Whatever stage of development you're at, God loves you right at this stage, but he's going to pull you into the next stage and say, don't become satisfied with right where you're at here. You're in third grade right now, but you, you know, you've got some new concepts that you've got to learn. There's some new things that you've got to learn. And God will be pulling us forward in this walk with him so that we develop with him. So what I'm saying is, don't in that awkward stage, embrace it. Right? It's like learning how to pray. I go to church, man, and Pete, man, we had church. Church I came to God, we had church like we do here. We'd have Holy Ghost, we'd have prayer, and, and man, at the end of service, we'd come up around the front, we'd all pray and talk in tongues and, and shout and dance and cry and pray, and we'd go into the prayer room and everybody prayed. Then I'd go home, and I'm going to have a prayer life. And three and a half minutes later, I'm like, okay, God, I'm done. This isn't like a church. <laughs> this isn't like a church. I don't, what do I say now? I'm done praying. Well, guess what? You, you just, the next day, you pray. And the next day, you pray. You're in the school of prayer. The school of prayer. And then you pray. And then you learn. Oh, wow, I got a breakthrough there. Wow, I figured that out. And, and when you're in that stage, if you're not careful, you'll be like, I'm not those professional prayer kind of people. You know, I'm not, I'm not like so-and-so, and you start naming people in church. I don't pray like that, man. I'm just a rookie. You know what some people do? They, they reject the process. They disengage, and they're like, I guess I'll just, and they stay in third grade. If you'll embrace the awkward. I first come to church, I didn't, I didn't know when you're supposed to stand up, when you're supposed to sit. We got all these little Pentecostalisms, you know what I mean, that we, that we figure out, that I didn't have figured out. But you stick around long enough, you'll, you'll learn how to flow in the spirit. You'll learn how to connect with God. You'll learn how to hear the voice of God. Am I talking to somebody? You'll learn. You'll learn how to transition your way through, and you will, you will continue to grow. So what are you saying? Embrace the awkward and make up your mind. I'm going forward in God. I remember being an awkward Christian. I, you, you need to look around this church and some of these, God has blessed this church. We've got some wonderful, strong, mature saints of God. We've got people at all levels of de development. And you, some of you, you, we've got people, you look around and you admire them so, so deeply. You admire them. Bridget, she's such a prayer warrior. Hey, listen, I remember when Bridget first came into church. I remember when she was struggling with alcoholism. You, you, you can't even imagine that. I remember when she was brand new, but you know what she did? She said, I'm bracing the awkward. I'm going to keep on growing in grace. I'm going to grow in grace. I'm going to get a prayer life. I'm going to learn how to be a worshiper. I'm going to learn how to pray the word. I'm going to learn how to get this in my life. And we look at her now and we see the product but we don't see the process that brought the product. The process is the school of grace. God's working in me. God's talking to me. God's helping me. God's developing me. And all of a sudden, maturity starts growing in our life. Stand with me together this morning. Praise the Lord. We all go through seasons of awkwardness. But it's about growing in the grace of God. Some of you right now, I'm so thankful. This church, we, again, we've got people at all stages of development, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful we got brand new babes in Christ. Amen? Brand new babes in Christ. We've got people that have been around two or three years. We've got people that have been around five years. People have been around 10 years. People have been around 30 years. And there's all these stages of development in the church. And it's one of the most beautiful tapestries that God puts together. The point is, no matter where you're at right now in your walk with God, 
say, Lord, so, some people here, you may be in third grade. Some people may be, you're in 10th grade. Some people, you already, you're graduated high school. You're like, you're at that level now. You've grown. But if you graduate high school, you need to think about like college level prayer. College level ministry. Right? Like doctorate level ministry. God. I can tell you right now, I've been in this thing 33 years now. And I'm as excited today as I've ever been in my life. I'm learning brand new things now that I never knew before. I'm developing in areas of life now. You talk about awkward. I was a 25-year-old pastor. You think I knew what I was doing? <laughs> People may have said, man, it looks like he knows what he's doing. I was just faking it. Fake it till you make it. No, I was really, I was faithing it is what I was doing. What I was doing is God... If you don't help me how to do this, I have no idea what I'm doing. I got elected to be our district superintendent. I didn't ask for that job. You talk about awkward. I'd never been in a district board meeting, let alone chaired one. I'd never been in a meeting with 100 ministers and have to chair a meeting. You want to give that a try? Preaching to preachers. <laughs> Toughest business in the world. What are you going to do? I'm quitting God. I ain't doing this. He says, okay, you're, you're stuck then. No, what you do is you take the next step. You embrace the awkward. And all of a sudden you learn. You, you, you. David said, the Lord hath put me in a large room. He'll put you in a place bigger than what you are. And what you can do is you can reject and say, I'm going back down to the next level because I don't like it right here. Or you can embrace the awkward. And you can say, okay, God, I'm growing in this next level of my life. I'm not, I'm not quitting. Oh, God. I feel the Holy Ghost here, just the Spirit of God that's just calling us, all of us. It's calling us upward upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can we pray now? Can we reach out to him now?